Hi everyone, we're here. Sorry, I don't know if Laura is quite ready. I may have jumped the gun on her a little bit. I'm not ready. So how good. are you, Laura? Good. How are you? I'm good. Um, yeah. Welcome to the same drugs with Megan Murphy. I'm Megan Murphy. I'm Laura McNally. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Um, where did you drive from? Uh, we were in Queenstown, and now we're driving back to the other side of the island. So we're like halfway. Um, and I was pretty organized. Like I did have all my stuff ready, but still like, you know, things always go wrong when you're like traveling cross country somewhere. Yeah, of course. And it's just, it's hard to get set up in a rush. Mm. Um, how's COVID over there? COVID check-in? I think it's fine. Okay. Actually, I haven't been reading any news, so I have no idea. I should tell the truth. I don't know. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> How uh, is this it? Well, so we have COVID, which, as I mentioned last week, means that all the bars are shutting and restaurants have to shut or stop serving booze at 10 and be totally shut by 11, I guess. Which I think is ridiculous and won't do anything to curb um covid cases um but i'm not in charge a bunch of people who i think are probably middle-aged and who probably don't spend a lot of time in bars and restaurants after 10 p.m and who are focused on kids and families so are focused on schools reopening and getting people back to work which those things are important yes don't get me wrong it's the most important thing probably is getting people back to work. Um, it's definitely important to get kids back in school, totally on board with those things, but also yeah. on board with us being allowed to do stuff here. I came up with a potential solution actually. Like if it's, I don't, I don't actually, I don't think that keeping bars open till one or 2 AM will have a notable impact on cases because of course the, the problems with like, clubs and large gatherings and like small bars and restaurants as far as I could tell because I was in them we're doing a really good job of like social distancing and making sure that you know people weren't spitting in each other's faces like getting too close to one another mm -hmm. blah 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 but I thought that maybe if like post 10 p.m everybody who's younger than like 35 had to leave the bar or restaurant <laughs> why 35 because it's the young people who are like getting all the covid cases and spreading it now ah, <laughs> and because okay. they're irresponsible clearly so okay but what makes you think 35 is the magic number well um because the stats are like it most of the people who are getting the cases and spreading the cases are like in their 20s and early 30s okay um and I mean, I all the people who are dying are kind of 80 and 90 yeah. years old. Like the only people yeah. who have died are quite elderly people in care homes. Um, and people aren't really being hosp hospitalized so much, especially not in those age groups. But this is where all the cases are coming from. So apparently this is what they're concerned with. I mean, I don't know that I'm that concerned with 20 somethings getting COVID. Um, no. As long as the they're not going to care homes and hanging around with older people and vulnerable people. But 
if that's going to be our thing, I think the best way to curb cases is to make everybody under 35 leave the bar at 10 p.m. and let the rest of us stay and enjoy ourselves like adults. So, but wait, if they're already there, wouldn't they, wouldn't the risk already be the same? Like, I don't understand the 10 p.m. thing. If you've, if you've. I don't think it makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it makes any sense at all. I mean, if you're there, you're spreading COVID around kind of no matter what you're doing, like it's extremely contagious. So if you're at the bar, you're probably, you know, regardless of what you're doing, spreading it to people and you're probably at the bar with other people. Um, I like, I don't know. I guess it's that, I mean, maybe they're thinking as people get drunker and drunker, they're getting more reckless and less irresponsible about their social distancing. Uh, maybe they're yeah. getting louder and therefore yelling more, which is likely mm-hmm. to spread their droplets around. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It doesn't, it just seems like, I feel like this whole thing is not an intentional attack on small business. Um but the result is that it's an attack on small businesses, like, you know, people who own little bars and little restaurants, like they're the ones who are suffering most and have been struggling the most throughout this whole thing. You know, it's even worse in a small space because you can get so few people in. Um, and, you know, places like Amazon are thriving. <laughs> um, so, and then, you know, so on top of all that, we also have like this all this smoke from the california fire yeah, so it's awful like so it's like okay don't do anything don't be inside if you're gonna do anything only go outside but actually don't anybody go outside because the air is filled with poisonous smoke and so yeah. if you breathe it in like we're not now we're not supposed to go outside for walks or like yeah. exercise outside so it's like we're kind of back to like being forced to stay and hang around in our apartments. I don't know. I mean, I feel like this like lockdown and the changing the rules back and forth thing just doesn't work. Like, I feel like if you kind of open things up, you can't go backwards because people just aren't going to be into it. Like people aren't going to like do that. I think that if the bars close at 10, everybody's just going to go party at their houses. Like there's just, people are just going to have house parties instead. Like, I feel like it's probably safer for them to be at a bar where they're being, like, really rigid about all these measures. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that public health officials take into account the compliance rates and they expect that compliance rates reduce over time. So, like, the first time they... Oh, you're freezing a bit. Oh. Can you hear me now? Oh, you're back a little bit, but your face is frozen. Yeah. We're going to lose Laura. Um, in any case, I mean, I and I have also noticed that um, Sweden, out of all of the EU, now appears to be doing better than everywhere else, which I find sort of interesting because they actually didn't do a lockdown. They did similar measures to, to BC. Um, they sort of you know, encouraged everyone to do social distancing. I don't think they ever acquired masks. They didn't shut down the schools. Um, They kept all the bars and gyms and everything opened and their cases did spiral out of control at some point. Um, But uh, right now they're, they're doing better than everyone else. So it's sort of, is like, we're, we're all still uncertain as to what actually 
is the best thing to do. It's definitely not what the U.S. did, but I'm not so sure it's what we're doing either. Um, hopefully Laura comes back. Uh, there's also anyone else in Vancouver has probably also noticed the moth apocalypse. <laughs> so on top of the fact that, hey, are you back? Sorry, I don't know what's going on. Oh, I was just telling everyone about the moth apocalypse in Vancouver. So on top of the fact what? that we're all being shut down because of COVID yeah. and then there's all this smoke, yeah. um, that we're also, the city is full of moths because there's like a moth outbreak also. <laughs> so there's a moth outbreak in North Vancouver and all the moths have come over to Vancouver. Like I found there's like a moth in my truck when I got in. It's like, <laughs> like there's moths all over like my window. Like there's these little brown moths all over the city. Um, so I don't know. We're not doing all that great in Vancouver, I wouldn't say. The one bonus is that it's cooled enough, cooled off enough so that I can close all my windows and wear sweatpants during the live stream and not get too hot. <laughs> oh, you've frozen again. Yeah, the moth thing is, uh, what are they called? The, um, the hemlock looper moth. Um, and yeah, they're, they're attacking the forest in North Van and, and coming over here. Um, so hopefully Laura gets her Wi-Fi working soon. Um, but I'm not sure if I should start on the Vancouver billboard topic yet without her. Um, but for those who... Those of you, you probably all have been following that a little bit. Um, my friend Amy Ham put up a, a billboard in Vancouver that said, I heart JK Rowling and Vancouver freaked the fuck out. Um, it was way out of control. Um, the rage was just, I mean, you know, to be expected. Of course, there's going to be a reaction. Um, the people who like to consider themselves leftists or anarchists or progressives or whatever in Vancouver, the trans activists are insanely out of control here. They're completely unthinking, which is, of course, the most frustrating thing of all. Hey. Sorry, <laughs> I think my internet, I think it's uh, my, my laptop, actually. Oh, okay. I started. I just started um, talking a little bit about the billboard situation in Vancouver, uh -huh. um, which I assume you followed. Did you follow that at all? Um, I know there was a billboard. Yeah. Okay. So my friend Amy, Amy is one of the co-organizers of GIDYVR here mm -hmm. in the events that we do in Vancouver about gender identity. Um, and she put up a billboard with a friend of hers, Chris... Elston, I think his last name is, um, that said, I heart JK Rowling. And the response was like insane. It was completely out of control. It was completely unwarranted. Um, people read it as an attack on the transgender community. Um, they read it as trolling. They felt like, I think they felt like she was kind of poking at people. Um, like, I guess that it wasn't just a sincerely, you know, it wasn't sincerely just about supporting J.K. Rowling. Um, like a lot of the, 
a lot of the commentary around it was that, you know, like, why would you spend a bunch of money on this? Like, why not try to have like a sincere, nuanced conversation? Um, you're just trying to get attention. Um, you're harassing the trans community, so on and so forth. Um, and I guess I, I mean, first of all, I find it odd that I heart JK Rowling could be viewed as a hostile statement at all. Um, and it is, you know, it's Posey's, Amy used Posey's, uh, sticker slash billboard design. Um, Posey put one up, I think, well, somewhere in the UK, I think it was actually in Scotland somewhere and it was taken down and, you know, Posey did those, sorry, Kelly J. Um, I think she's trying to go by her real name now, but it's hard for me to get a hang of it. <laughs> so I keep calling her Posey. Hey, sorry. That's okay. So what um, did I miss? People, uh, I was just was explaining the billboard. the billboard. Well, I mean, I'm not her, so I can't say, but I, yeah. according to her, you know, I, you know, I think it definitely was to to support J.K. Rowling, who's been under attack, like the most like vitriolic, misogynist, pornified attacks on her uh, have been going on since she started, you know, speaking out critically about gender identity ideology and talking about her concerns around the impact on women and girls. And so, you know, so she she decided to put up this billboard Vancouver's kind of like a, a hotbed for lefty trans activist type people. Um, they're very unthinking. They really like to see themselves as the most woke and the most progressive. Um, you know, if you're going to consider yourself on the left in any way, you have to have this list of opinions, you know, and you can't stray from that. And if you do, you're canceled and you're attacked and you're kicked out of the community and vilified. Um, and yeah, so people just like jumped on this, like in, in such a hysterical way, honestly, and called her all sorts of names, threatened her, threatened her kids, um, went after her, like, started complaining to her work. They obviously got it taken down. Um, I think one of the reasons it got taken down is because a city councillor here in Vancouver, Sarah Kirby Young, um, complained about the billboard to Pattison Group, um, or Pattison Outdoors is the company responsible for the billboards. And, you know, it's just, I mean... First of all, it's amazing that people would get this angry. And second of all, I think it's an, it's amazing that the company would take it down so quickly. And I think that it's amazing the level of excuses people are making for the response from people, which was so hateful and so vitriolic and so unfair. Um, you know, it's not... J.K. Rowling didn't say anything against trans people. This is just the mythology on the internet um, yeah. perpetuated what's, by all these liberal media sources. What's there when they, for example, I'm assuming that they would have had to state their case to the advertising company or to the council. So 
if they were going to make a case about the billboard, what would the case be? They didn't really make a case. She just tweeted it. The city, Sarah Kirby Young just tweeted it at Patterson Outdoors and said this was transphobic. I think I actually have her tweet right here. Hi, Patterson Outdoor. I'm condemning this clear, intentional messaging meant to stoke hate, exclusion, and division. This kind of hateful expression sets us all back, not moves us forward. Hope we see an outpouring of love and solidarity that drowns out the hate. And then she hashtagged love, not hate. Hashtag take it down. Um, you know, so no I, case. Is that all no, it took no. for them to take it down? Yeah, yeah. I think it was just a complaint or two. They just said, you know, this is, I think they just said this is transphobic. Um, and, and you know, Amy, Amy had tweeted about it and written an open letter to Patterson Outdoor saying that they put the billboard up um, to challenge gender identity ideology, essentially. So, you know, that may have been a mistake because it sort of reveals the politics behind the billboard. If they weren't already obvious, you know, you can't pretend that it's innocuous if you say that. But at the same time, I mean, it should be okay to do that. Um, It should be okay to put a billboard up supporting what J.K. Rowling said, you know, I think that probably is the main point is to say, you know, we share her views. We support what she's saying. Everyone on the internet is pretending that, you know, she's being roundly dismissed and that the majority agrees that she's this terrible transphobic person, but it's not true. Lots of people support her. Lots of people agree with her and, you know, lots of people don't even have to think about this issue. Lots of people who aren't even involved in this fight and maybe don't even know that J.K. Rowling has been speaking out about gender identity ideology would read her her letter that she wrote and agree with her. Mm. Um, you know, yeah, nothing she said was hateful. So I find it very interesting because I was involved in a couple campaigns in Australia to have advertising removed from specific public places So I'll give you a couple of examples. One was billboards for this like uh, porn related conference thing that they have in Australia, right? It's it's like some stupid thing where they dress up and they wear costumes and it's really lame. And anyway, the billboards, they put like a porn website on the actual billboard. So like in full view, a few, a few of them were like by school. Some of them were on school buses. They had Mm -hmm. this like porn website and the organization I was working for at the time was campaigning to get the pornographic website removed from the advertisement because it was only, it's meant to be over 18 ad. Um, And they like, wouldn't do it. (laughs) Really? (laughs) No. They, like, won't change advertising. Advertising is basically a kind of um, unregulated industry, generally speaking, in most countries. There's no real specific regulation, so it's on a case-by-case basis. Even if it's for adult-only content? Yeah, like, there was a few council, like, councillors who said, you know, we're concerned that this shouldn't be in, like, view of children, and that was, like, one view but that didn't mean that there would be a regulation to remove it. So it's so interesting that 
you have an example of someone sharing like what is an innocuous message to the uninitiated. Like I love JK Rowling doesn't mean anything. If you're not involved in activist circles, you wouldn't know what that even refers to or the debate mm-hmm. that it refers to. And that can just be like instantly removed. But when it's like a, a pornographic conference with websites and stuff it's like oh no like let's not let's not censor people like let people have free speech (laughs) well and i mean it's like if you could if you were gonna say that i heart jk rowling putting up a billboard like that as trolling people or poking at people or you know trying to start something with trans activists or the trans activist community i feel like you could also make the exact same comment around trans activist messaging um you know because trans activist messaging i think would be upsetting or triggering and it is upsetting and triggering to lots of women um you know i think that a lot of women are offended by messaging that says trans women are women um and Things like trans rights and are human rights and not because trans rights aren't human rights. Of course, trans rights are human rights. Trans identified people are human. But um, that's sort of a, a dog whistle just as much as mm-hmm. I heart JK Rowling would be. Um, so anyway, I don't know. It's just sort of it's significant. It's or it's it symbolizes a lot about Vancouver politics right now. And it's just frustrating and disappointing and it's been maddening to read comments about people who are saying hateful things about my friends and women that I know and um, refusing to engage in good faith and, and, you know, are really behaving in really hateful, threatening ways and then accusing us of, of being the ones to do that. Right. Like, um, I don't know, to accuse J.K. Rowling of being hateful while calling a woman a cunt and worse and saying, like, I hope I run into you and your kids in public um, or I hope I run into you in public and I hope you're with your baby and um, trying to get someone fired and so on and so forth. So and then right after that happened, of course, R.I.P. J.K. Rowling started trending on Twitter, um, which was because her new book just came out on Tuesday. So there were some early reviews of the book and people discovered that it was about a cross-dressing serial killer, which obviously makes her strictly transphobic. Let me see if I can find one of the reviews. Somebody wrote a review for The Telegraph, Jake Carriage, and he says, The book centers on the disappearance of a woman who is believed to be a victim of a transvestite serial killer. Um, and he determined on that basis that the moral of the book is never trust a man in a dress. Oh, wow. I mean, she but, must have known this was coming, right? I mean, she must have, but it, I mean, it's impossible to say, like, if she was writing this book with any kind of intention, like, if she was intending to show that, you know, like, men who identify as women could be dangerous. I mean, this guy also, I don't think he, like, 
identifies as transgender. I think it's like a cross-dressing thing. Um, okay. Everyone in the comments seems to agree that the book isn't about cross-dressing killers. There is just one line where a witness describes the perp as a man wearing a woman's coat. So it doesn't mean that the whole book is about a person who was killing people while cross-dressing. Uh, okay, I don't know if that's true because the review in the Telegraph says that the book centers. I mean, maybe maybe this coverage is exaggerating or not accurate. Um, there's another... Um, where did I read something else? I mean, yeah, it says that in the plot line, there's a murderous cisgendered man who dresses up like a woman, a woman to kill other women. Um, I mean, I obviously haven't read it yet, uh, but he has a, a guise on that doesn't necessarily make him cross-dressing. It's just a disguise, which is part of the way he does his crime that seems to be the general consensus i mean if you were a hard out activist you would it's take a man wearing a wig and a woman's coat mm. i don't think that that's not necessary i think the thing is that if you're a like activist who wants to paint jk rowling as a certain type of person you're going to say it doesn't matter this person is transgender and she hates transgender people. That's why she wrote the character this way, right? Well, so some have speculated that the reason that she, one of the reasons that she started speaking out about gender identity was because she was doing research for this book. So she was researching autogynophilia um, and started to get concerned. So... I mean, either way, like, regardless if the book is about a transvestite serial killer, this is in quotations, this yeah. is from a review that I read online, um, or if it just has a character who, or the murderer just dresses up as a woman once, um, this this news prompted R.I.P. J.K. Rowling from thousands and thousands of people who also haven't read the book. So I haven't read the book. I can't say what it's about. I can't say what her intention is. But um, all of these other people who haven't read the book. I mean, what, what's the, the common thread throughout all of this is that people who do cancel culture and people who engage in this mass online rage and hysteria almost always consistently have not read or seen the thing that they're talking about. Mm. And the jump to react is always based on what they've read. It's always based on second or third or fourth hand information. Um, nobody bothers to look into it before tweeting that JK Rowling should be dead. I saw some like Canadian drag queen. Um, I don't follow drag queen TV or drag queen culture or drag queens in general i don't find drag to be interesting um but this person that bitch lemon tweeted might dress as a woman and kill jk rowling um i, th I think he later deleted that tweet um and somebody a writer for rick and morty siobhan thompson uh tweeted a bunch of 
hateful stuff about J.K. Rowling and then said, I'll stop tweeting about wanting J.K. Rowling to shut up when she stops wanting my trans friend and friends and family to die. Like, you're just a, like, you're an insane person. Like, on what planet? Like, how did you gather from anything that J.K. Rowling has ever said that she wants your trans friends to die? Mm. And, like, how does this spin into the kind of rage where you want somebody else to die, where thousands and thousands of people are tweeting that she should be dead mm-hmm. because of a book that they haven't read, because of a letter that she wrote expressing concerns about the impacts of gender identity ideology on women and girls? Mm. It's interesting because the the reading of what seems to be For example, J.K. Rowling puts out this open letter, outlines her views in a very kind of clear, concise way, and the response to that is so um, extreme and the response infers that J.K. Rowling wants people to die so the appropriate response is to wish death on her. And it's like, okay, but where in her work did you decide that she said she wants people to die? Well, I don't think they read in any of her work. Like, I don't think they're talking about anything she actually said. Um, I think that if you say anything critical about gender identity ideology and apparently anything critical about a trans person, then you're transphobic. And if you're transphobic, you should die. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's interesting that people responded this way to what they think they understand about the plot line. So if -hmm. they think they understand the plot line to be about a man who is a murderer and also a crossdresser, then it doesn't make sense that they would be calling the book transphobic because these people would differentiate between cross-dressing and transgenderism. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, cross-dressing is a fetish, autogonophilia, and transgenderism, according to gender identity, ideology, activists, whatever, is an innate thing that you're born with where you are, in fact, born into the wrong body and you have a different sex on the inside. I don't agree with this analysis. (laughs) And I would like someone to explain to me what the difference is between a trans woman and a man who dresses up as a woman. Um, you know, like where, where's the line? Um, uh, it might be around identity, but I'd like to know where the line is in a biological or scientific or concrete sense. Um, and you know, it also sort of like, it's like, you can't, they're saying she's transphobic because she, I think they said something else. Like they're trying to rack up they're trying to rack up evidence against her. Um, and there was another book where they claim she perpetuated transphobia also. So, yeah, so this is from an article in Uproxx. And the author writes, or the writer says, this isn't the first time the Cameron Strike series have, has come under fire for callousness and insensitivity towards the trans community. In The Silkworm, the second book in the series, One of the story's suspects is a trans woman named Pippa Midgley, who Mary Claire describes as pitiful, high-strung, violent character with no sense or self-preservation. 
Rowling also makes multiple references to Pippa's assigned sex at birth in the book, noting her prominent Adam's apple and calling her voice as rough and loud as a docker's. It also includes an exchange with a detective that tells Pippa that prison won't be fun for you, not pre-op. So, I mean, the it's like you can't even write a character that's unpleasant and also trans because then you're transphobic. It's like, essentially, if you say any bad thing, not just any bad thing about or critical thing about trans, trans activism um, or gender identity ideology or legislation, but if you say any bad thing about a trans-identified person, you're transphobic. And... Or not even a real person, but a character. If you if you create a character that's not favorable in a book, you're transphobic because you're criticizing the entire trans community. It's insane. Mm. Like I it's like I feel like a lot of uh, activist circles go in this direction when they get really, I suppose, really attached to proving that the problem exists. So they're then looking for evidence anywhere they can possibly find it that the problem is real. And so they're then looking into totally innocuous things. So and they'll they've done this with Black Lives Matter and other activist movements as well, where it's like, oh, this storyline is actually totally racist because it was uh, written by someone that's not black. They're only a person of color and they're not black and they're actually now it's anti-black. We saw that with the student who said the books in our curriculum, they're not by black people, so therefore this whole curriculum is racist, despite the fact that half of the books were by people of colour, it wasn't good enough, it's all racist, the whole thing goes in the bin. And I think that's what we're seeing here is this like absolutist black and white thinking where it's like if I can find any shred of evidence that proves my worldview is right and my worldview is that everyone is transphobic or everyone is racist or whatever it is. If I can find one shred of evidence, I'm 100% right in all cases. <laughs> and so if this person has written a character in a way that slightly might uh, be not uh, not comfortable for me, that proves that my, my point. It was transphobic. It's 100% transphobic. That's it. Right. And I mean, it's just, it's interesting to me that these people, like their, their sources are just other articles. Their sources are n- not her books. You know, that quote that I just read, sources, Mary Claire magazine, like that's not mm-hmm. a reliable source, mm-hmm. but it's like, you're going to make a decision about her book and try to pretend that there is some pattern of transphobia in her writing without reading any of her writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean... You, at least you have to stay neutral <laughs> or give her the benefit of the doubt if you're not going to read it. Like, I haven't read any of these books either, but I'm also not accusing her of transphobia and trying to cancel her and um, saying that she should be dead as a result of something that I haven't read. Mm, this is the problem, though. Once you're on the... Remember we talked about splitting, and it's like as soon as you can paint someone as the bad guy, you've split them bad. And there's, like, no coming back from that. And it doesn't matter how, like, small or innocuous the thing was that you did. If you can be described as racist or transphobic or any of those things, 
that's it. You're painted black. You're put in the bad category. You're written off. And the thing is that all of these activists just, it's like the herd mentality. If one activist says this person's transphobic, the whole herd must agree. There's no space for disagreement because as you know, in activist circles, if one person remains friendly or neutral towards someone that's been painted black as a bad person, as a transphobic, as whatever, then the people who are neutral get lumped into that same category. So if you're neutral about J.K. Rowling, you're now transphobic too. We didn't even have proof that J.K. Rowling was transphobic, but now anyone that is neutral towards her is also transphobic. So the, the kind of herd mentality is that we all have to hate the same people and we have to even hate the people who are neutral towards the people that we hate. Mm-hmm really enmeshment it's like beyond codependency it's enmeshment it's like we have to think the same way there's no space for like alternative ways of thinking or like diverse opinions or diversity of thought we all think the same thing all the time yeah it's creepy and I guess yeah like I always have trouble figuring out what these people think will come from this kind of behavior and this kind of group think and this this kind of really not thinking. I mean, probably some of them maybe don't think about it much. Some of them probably aren't very intelligent and aren't very good at critical thinking. So there's not much we can do for those kinds of people. Um, but I think that, yeah, I guess a lot of them just think that it will keep them safe, that it will protect them, that they'll be able to remain in their their social scenes or their political communities. Um, And, you know, without realizing that they can't remain perfect forever and that they're going to be vulnerable to this kind of treatment. Also, if these are the kind of people you hang out with, you know, why do you expect that they won't turn on you? Yeah. Right. Like it's like, to me, I just, I want to make friends and be parts of communities Um, be a part of communities that don't behave in that way at all, because I don't think that I'm special. You know, if I'm around people who cast you out because you disagree or because you don't share all their political perspectives or you don't repeat all their mantras, um, I know that I'm not allowed to, to have independent thought. And I know that I'm not protected from being treated like that by them. And therefore I'm going to keep those people at an arm's length. Those people are not going to be close to me. Um, You know, I could, I guess I could work with them here or there and have really strict boundaries about how I engage with them, but I'm going to have really strict boundaries about how I engage with them. And those aren't going to be the people that I let into my life. Yeah. I think the tricky thing is when you're very young or not particularly psychologically stable, you think that you're going to get safety from being enmeshed with other people. And I see young people do this, like, for example, in their conversations about J.K. Rowling, like on TikTok and places like that where young people are talking about it, they're like, we all hate J.K. Rowling now, guys. Like, this is the thing. Yeah, And it's like, yeah, that's how that makes sense for them because they're teenagers and they believe in social cohesion to the point of enmeshment. There is no independent thought. And if you want to be one of the team, like you want to be one of the kids that's part of that crew, then you have to fully align with everything that group of people thinks. 
And that does make sense when you're a teenager, for sure. Um, I, it doesn't make sense when you're an adult. And like you say, it's it seems very unsafe if you're an adult and you're associating with friends who don't allow you to think differently because you know that you could get cut off at any moment. You know that mm. your friendship is kind of like hanging by a thread and it's very risky. Um, and it's interesting because I think what happens in those circumstances is people do feel the anxiety that comes with being told you need to be an activist, you need to believe this thing, you need to think the same way I do, and they're kind of put on warning by their activist friends. And I've had people do this to me. You need to think this way about gender identity. It's not up for debate. And I'm like, excuse me? Like, who are you? are talking to me like you're my parent. Even my parents Or you need to think that. this way or you need to say these things about Black Lives Matter or racism. Mm-hmm. Um, or you're cut off. There's a number of ways that this can go. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure that it happens in other political communities and movements. Um, maybe you need to go along with this feminist mantra or you need to repeat after me. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm really troubled to see this happening in general, but I'm really troubled that people don't see when they're doing it themselves. So, you know, when you can see people criticizing it when it happens in trans activism, um, but you can't see when you're doing it within feminism, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, I've talked about this before, but I've had people make demands on me in terms of what they think I should be doing in my work and saying in my work. Um, and saying at my events. And I refuse. I'm not going to do anything that anybody tells me to, and I'm making no commitments to anyone. None. I'm not promising to do this. I'm not promising to say this. I'm not promising to believe this. I reserve the right to change my mind. I reserve the right to say what I think is true um, and to be wrong. You know, maybe I'll say something or do something and later you know, feel like I changed my mind about that. Or maybe it turns out that I was wrong about that. But I'm I'm certainly not going to say something because somebody else told me I had to, to be a part of their community or their club or their movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wish that more people would see the value in that. You don't have mm-hmm. to do what anyone tells you to. And if somebody tells you that to be a part of their movement, you need to repeat after me. Um, you must agree with me the uh, me on these political principles. Um, you can say no, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. or you can reserve the right to think about it for yourself and come back and say, you know, like I'm not so sure about this. Like, mm-hmm. <sighs> um, yeah, it's tricky because I think what happens is when people go down this line, I think it's a Enmeshment is one of those things that it slowly creeps up on you. If you're not, for example, young people get enmeshed very quickly and easily with their friendship circles because that's how they belong is that they enmesh with their friends. So that's that's to be expected. I think people who are particularly um, vulnerable from a mental health perspective can get enmeshed quite easily. So mm. if you've just been through like a traumatic situation or you're dealing with a huge amount of depression or anxiety, you're quite susceptible to people trying to enmesh you. And that's when, you know, you know, you're vulnerable and you know, people, those kind of people seem to come out of the woodwork trying to like catch you out on those days when you're vulnerable and you, and you have to kind of take a step back. Um, But I think for people who are not particularly young 
or not particularly vulnerable, I think the average adult slowly gets enmeshed into these groups, um, not willingly and not consciously, but I think it's something that they do over time is that they slowly uh, plant the seeds in your mind, which is, for example, J.K. Rowling is transphobic. Oh, you don't agree? Well, that's actually transphobic for you to not agree. And they won't necessarily walk you through the path of how they got to that idea or why they have their opinion. They'll just plant the seed of doubt in your mind that they think you're wrong and in order to be friends with them, you need to be open to agreeing with what they think. And I think over time they wear down on people. I think the average person doesn't necessarily agree with any of this, but it's like I don't have the energy to keep getting berated about these topics. So I'm just kind of going along for the sake of letting myself live, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's hard when somebody lies to you, right? Because if somebody says to you, JK Rowling hates trans people, she wants trans people to die, she said a bunch of transphobic things in all sorts of places, and you say, I don't think she did. And they say, yeah, she did. And you haven't read everything that she's written, then you can't actually necessarily refute what they're saying. Like, it's really hard to deal with people who don't engage in good faith and who are intellectually dishonest or who will simply state a lie as though it's true. Like, you can't know everything. Like, I can. Like, I'm well-versed enough on this issue to know how to respond to those kinds of situations. And, you know, I know enough to know that these accusations are bullshit, but the average person who doesn't follow this all so closely isn't going to know how to respond. I mean, they can say, like, oh, prove it. And they can say, oh, well, she said this. And you can be like, okay, well, I'll have to go check the internet for a few hours and do some research. Um, You can ask questions them and challenge them in other ways and be like, well, you know, I read her essay and she said this and I didn't find it to be transphobic. But yeah, at the end of the day, a lot of people probably don't even have the energy to want to get into this and they're not going to have all the background. So they're just going to be like, okay, fine, whatever. Like, yes. I guess she's a vile woman and we should burn all her books, which people have been doing. There's been a whole bunch of videos posted on TikTok of people actually burning her books. Yeah, Like, it's very frightening. We're in a really frightening situation right now in society and people do not seem to realize it. Yeah. Two things. One is that um, there's a really good documentary on Netflix at the moment, which is The Social Dilemma, which... Mm speaks about how social media companies set us up for political polarization and how political polarization is incredibly useful to their business model and, of course, to the advertisers who pay them and, of course, to governments who can also benefit from political polarised populations. So I think that's one thing is that uh, there's a lot that's encouraging people to become polarised and they think oh, I'm being polarized because I'm educated and I'm righteous and I have the right opinion and I'm an activist and I'm educated. And it's like, no, no, you've been led down a path to believe what you believe. You're not kind of striking out with this new thing. And that's another thing. When it comes to gender identity, a lot of these activists bluff the average adult by saying 
this is a new thing. You need to learn this new concept. Um, you probably don't know because you're old and you probably didn't pay attention and you're not. You haven't been to gender studies. You don't understand. Yeah. You need to go take some gender studies classes and you need to read these books by these trans activists and you need to follow these trans activists on Twitter and then you'll understand it. Unless you do all those things, then you can't really talk about this at all. Right. And that's really hard because when you tell someone that they actually don't understand an issue because they're uneducated, it kind of renders them powerless to respond because then it's like, oh, maybe I I actually haven't read the books. You're right. I mean, if you're actually a person who isn't highly educated, hasn't read the books, you would feel inclined to say like, well, I guess, I mean, I, I can't argue with that. I haven't read the books about gender identity. That's true. I guess I probably am wrong and you are probably, I mean, you know more than me, whatever yeah. this topic is. I you guess seem you to know a lot about this issue. Yeah. Um, I was, um, I've been meaning to watch the, is it called The Social Dilemma? Is that right? Yeah. I almost watched it last night, but I watched the Paris Hilton documentary instead. <laughs> I don't know if it was Priority. the right choice, to be honest. I think they both sound really good. But the social dilemma is very interesting just for the fact that, you know, a lot of activists and uh, the Black Lives Matter activists, as well as the gender identity activists, both seem to have this self-righteous, we're leading the movement and we're here for positive change and we're doing the right thing and everyone who's not with us is against us. And this I, this documentary isn't actually talking about activism at all. It's just talking about how social media sets us up for polarization because it's good for profit. It's what makes their business model tick. It's great for advertisers. And it makes you a politically, an easily manipulated population with from political figureheads, which is what right. they learn with um, different political movements like the Russians and, you know, all that kind of stuff that's happened behind the scenes with bots and those kind of communities. So it's like, no, activists are not leading this huge grand change of social progress. They're actually just being manipulated by bots and the kind of algorithm that set us up to always be on social media all the time. Well, and that con controversy is profitable. Like yes. you're exactly right that this kind of polarization, these kinds of arguments, I mean, this is great business for Twitter when yeah. people, when RIP JK Rowling is is trending on Twitter and that's getting covered by all these liberal media outlets all over the place. And people are, you know, engaging on Twitter and going on Twitter to look up this hashtag. I mean, this hatred against JK Rowling, I don't, you know, Twitter isn't going around banning everyone who's using this hashtag, despite the fact that they're, you know, this is targeted harassment and could be interpreted as a threat on her life. Mm. Um, you know, I wonder why. Mm. like probably because they d they don't disagree but because it's good for them and yeah. i mean and in fact this happened also with this controversy around cuties which um <laughs> we're also supposed to talk about tonight and you know that's caused a bunch of controversy yeah. people are trying to cancel netflix and I yeah. think that actually this is probably good for Netflix because I think probably a bunch of people are flocking to Netflix to watch Cuties, which probably would have really flown under the radar because it's just this like 
French film that actually isn't really all that controversial. You know, the controversy came because of the way that Netflix publicized the film. Yes. Um, which I have you know to assume what? that they did this intentionally because it, it really worked, but they did it in like an incredibly provocative yes. and, and I think misleading way before I watched the film, I thought that it was like a, a new show, like, yeah, like toddlers and tiaras or dance moms <laughs> or something like that. Like I didn't understand what it was. And the yeah. imagery was this super sexualized images of these girls and there was language around girls like twerking. So of course it's yeah. going to generate a huge controversy and backlash. Yeah. I mean, Netflix must have anticipated that. Yes. Can I just say one thing before we talk about cuties? Yeah. So one thing you're, what you're saying is making me think of is that people, for some reason, activists seem to believe that cancellation, canceling things is somehow producing a negative effect. And I, I think that as it stands, cancelling individuals, as in getting individuals fired from their jobs, I think the only people it really has an impact on is people who are poor, people who are kind of um, financially vulnerable. Those people, cancellation is really serious. They're the people who are silenced by the threat of cancellation. But when it comes to a multinational media company, they don't give a fuck if you cancel their film. Cancellation is just another form of publicity for them. Mm. So this idea of just like, we'll cancel everything we don't like, I think is ridiculous. And I think really probably only harms financially vulnerable people. And honestly, financially vulnerable people are probably the people we should be listening to most rather than silencing. Um, but the other thing is on the gender identity topic was the, um, the, the issue for me has always been, and I've had this position for like five or ten years since I first wrote about gender identity, was that um, the debate is not over. There is no clear path of what is the best um, what is the best approach that is most beneficial to the mental health of young people who are gender non-conforming or young people who have gender dysphoria or young people who identify as trans or whatever it might be, there is no consensus on the best approach for that. And so my approach as a psychologist has always been, well, I want to hear both sides of the debate and I want to read the literature firsthand. So I'll go and read the handbooks and I'll go and read the research. And the response to me has been, well, you're transphobic because you won't just jump on the bandwagon, the bandwagon that says um, uh, transitioning is always the best approach. That's the bandwagon. You have to jump on it as a psychologist. And I'm like, that's not the case at all. I want to follow the evidence. My job is to follow the evidence as to what is the best approach for young people's mental health. That's what I'm interested in. I'm not actually interested in your politics of, well, this is what the the party in the US is saying and blah, blah, blah. I'm not in the US. I don't care actually what US politicians are saying. I just want to know what the evidence says. And for taking this approach, for being kind of politically neutral and wanting to look at the evidence, 
that gets branded as transphobic. And that well, yeah, be- that's what's happened to all the sex the sex researchers, right? Like any of the sex researchers, uh, Ken Zucker and uh, God, I'm blanking on people's names right so. now. <sighs> yeah, well, she seems to be doing okay, to be honest. But um, uh, if you anybody like Lisa Littman, um, anybody who publishes research that is just really trying to figure out what the best way forward is in terms of, you know, kids who are identifying as transgender, adults who are wanting to transition, whatever, anyone who really just is talking about, let's look at the science and let's look at the data mm-hmm. is attacked and, and in a major way and canceled. And sometimes the research is pulled. Yeah. Um, so attempting to be neutral is unacceptable nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we should talk about cuties. Cause I think, yeah. A lot of people are here for that. And <laughs> did you watch it? No. Did you? Oh, you didn't. Damn. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I did watch it. So, um, okay. So it's a it's a French film, first of all. Mignon. Mignon means cute in French. Um, it's uh, about a young girl, an eleven an eleven year old girl. Um, she comes from a Muslim family. She's an immigrant and she, they're poor. They live in a kind of like social housing kind of apartment. Um, and she encounters these, this group of girls at her school who are also her age, who are like the bad girls and they're kind of jerks. They're kind of bullies. They bully her. Um, and they're also like the cool girls and they dress in pretty sexualized ways for 11 year old girls. Like some of them seem to be wearing platform heels, which I thought was pretty fucking weird. Um, crop tops, stuff like that. Um, they're wearing makeup, which I also think is very strange for 11 year old girls. Like, I mean, it's to me like a lot of this was about, I don't want to get too far up, but a lot of this was about class because it was just like, your parents aren't around and they're not paying attention. Um, They're not parenting you because uh, like, I'm sorry, but it is your responsibility as a parent to not let your child dress in those ways and to be wearing makeup and crop tops and like high heels when they're still kids. Um, and I know that you can't control everything that your kid does. You can't monitor what they do once they leave the house. Your kid could leave in, um, regular kid clothes, like jeans and a t-shirt and then change at school. Um, but I, I, I honestly think a lot of that has to do with neglect too. Like, I think that part of what was revealed in the film and part of what I know about girls having been a girl and also having observed girls and read about all this stuff for a long time, it's like, I think, you know, I think that a lot of these girls sometimes want love and attention and so seek it out in these really unhealthy ways. Um, Maybe because they're not getting it from getting it at home. But in any case, so the, the girl wants to befriend this group of girls. And the other storyline, of course, the major storyline, the controversial storyline is that these 
girls are like a dance troupe and they are planning to participate in this dance contest. Um, that really is for older girls. The, the dancing is quite sexualized and, um, at, at one point the, the girl overhears a conversation that her mother has on the phone and her mother learns that her father is taking on a second wife. So there's also this other storyline where this girl hears her mother have to sort of concede despite her hurt and rage at her husband that her husband who's away in, I can't remember where they're from right now, unfortunately, he's, he's met another woman and and he's going to bring her home to live with them and they're all going to have to go to his wedding. Um, So the young girl is, is filled with all this rage around that too. So she's, she's dealing with misogyny essentially in two different forms. So she's dealing with like Western misogyny, which is like hypersexualization. And then she's dealing with the misogyny of her Muslim culture where her father can do whatever he wants and the women in his family just have to put up with it. And, you know, he's the patriarch and she's 11 years old. Yeah. Um, so the, I mean, the controversial part of the film, the controversial part of the film, in my opinion, was primarily again about Netflix marketing of the film. Um, because, it focused on this one aspect and didn't actually focus on the point of the film, which was to criticize the hypersexualization of girls, which they're primarily learning on social media nowadays. Like the problem nowadays is the hypersexualization of girls. The problem is porn culture. The problem is that kids have access to pornography, but a major problem is just fucking TikTok. And like mm-hmm. Instagram and what these kids are just seeing on their phones, mm-hmm. which is like girls hypersexualizing mm-hmm. and pornifying themselves when they're way too young to be doing that. I don't think anybody should be pornifying themselves and objectifying themselves, but certainly not teen girls. Were, were all the girls that were shown in the dance troop were they all around that 11 12 age range or are they yeah. a variety and okay. it's really disturbing like i do i want to say that the 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 dance scenes are really disturbing and the director uses the male gaze in an excessive way so she focuses on parts of the girls bot bodies um to make the audience feel really uncomfortable about what's going on Um, you know, she does it in a critical way. Her aim is very clearly, I also like read and watched some interviews with the director and she's very clearly a feminist woman, um, and an immigrant woman. So some of it was drawing on her own experiences as as a, as a little black girl, as an immigrant. Um, and also through a bunch of interviews and research that she did, you know, interviewing other girls of that age and learning about their experiences and what they Mm -hmm. were kind of doing as they were approaching or going through puberty. Mm -hmm. And, but the, the, the scene that most people are focusing on is at the very end when they're participating in this dance contest and it's just really grotesque. Um, they've sort of emulated, 
you know, there's there's moves from the WAP video, for example. <laughs> They're like twerking. They're, you know, it's really upsetting and repulsive to watch, but intentionally so. And nobody would read that. There's no way that you could read it in a different way. The audience of the dance contest is like booing and grimacing and the mothers are turning away and hiding their kids' eyes and the judges are shaking their heads. Like everyone's like, what are these girls doing? Like, this isn't okay at all. There's no, nothing celebratory about it. So who were the adults that kind of signed off on and supported this, like the final scene, if we put that as the kind of main issue, who were the adults involved in setting the the girls up to be performing the way they did in the context they were? There weren't adults around. There was no adults. Their mums didn't know what they were doing. Really? Or if they did, they didn't care. Yeah, no, the girl's mom had no idea. She would leave the house and change into her outfits and put on makeup. Um, And as far as I could tell, the other girls were also lower class and didn't have much adult supervision. And were there like uh, dance trainers or like schools involved? No, no, they just taught themselves from looking at YouTube videos and from looking at like adult women in like hip hop videos and stuff like that. And looking at other girls on TikTok and looking at other girls on Instagram, they just emulated all these other girls and these adult women who were dancing in these really sexualized kind of pornographic ways. Um, And and what was the competition that they were involved in? uh, It was some kind of dance contest. Just like a public dance thing where you can just show up. You just sign up. Like they they auditioned to get into the contest and their dance probably was a little bit sexualized, but not nearly to the extent that their final performance was. Like, I don't think the judges had any idea that they were going to show up and do this because they were upset by it. Um, But I mean, there, there is a problem with people kind of accepting what I think is sexualized dancing from girls who are too young to be doing it. Like, no, it's not this extreme. It's not as extreme as what we saw in this this final scene. Um, but, you know, we see moms putting makeup on their little girls and putting them in beauty pageants and strutting around in bikinis. Like, mm-hmm. we see girls emulating, like, we see girls doing, like, pole dancing, for God's mm-hmm. sakes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and so, so that, so that scene happens, um, and the girl, sorry, I should actually look up their names. I don't remember anyone's name. Um, what was her name? Amy, Amy, and she's, she's Senegalese. Sorry, I don't know how to say that. Um, and, uh, she runs off the stage midway through the dance. She starts crying, runs off the stage goes back home and they show her in the actual final scene, jumping rope with some other girls back in her regular clothes. So she essentially, you know, realizes that she's kind of tried to grow up too fast, that she's getting involved in something that she doesn't quite understand and that she doesn't feel comfortable with and goes back to engaging in like more age appropriate behavior and play. So there's like a pretty obvious lesson. Um, And um, and at the end of the, the film, her mother says, you don't have to come 
to your father's wedding if you don't want to, which mm. was part of the her rage throughout the film was having mm. to, you know, participate in this, having to accept this, having to attend her father's wedding and watch him marry another man, knowing how hurt her mother was by the whole situation. So, I mean, I think the director was doing pretty simple, which was to criticize misogyny in both of these cultures. Yeah. It's interesting that the um, two things, I think one is that the message wouldn't have landed had they not played into the sexualization. And that seems to be what a lot of the criticism is about. Someone wrote a good comment, which was that, um, it's like filming animals being abused to try and prove the issue of animal abuse. So you're kind of making the problem worse when you're trying to raise awareness. And that's true, but I just don't know if in the current climate we're in, where the only things that make the news now are cities burning down and people killing each other. And sometimes that doesn't even make the news. I don't know if you could actually make an impact with a documentary if you didn't do something that was very in your face. And I'm assuming they've played on this sexualization to try and get the documentary rated. To try It wasn't and get- a documentary. It was like a, it's just a feature film. I just, I think a lot of people thought it was a documentary, including myself, based on the the Netflix promotional materials. Mm. But it wasn't. It was just a feature film. So there are girls acting. Um, Mm. And I think people are upset because um, they think it was overdone. Like they didn't, they don't think that those girls had to be so sexualized. They don't think the camera needed to specifically use the male gaze to that extent to, to focus on the girl's body parts in that way. Um, and people were concerned about the girls who were learning to do these sexualized dances for the purpose of filming. And I mean, those are fair concerns. I think, I mean, my major problem with the criticisms is that the vast, vast majority of people who were freaking out about this film never watched it. And I'm just sick of this. I'm so tired of people um, freaking out and creating like hysteria and trying to cancel things without even knowing what they're trying to cancel. Like all of these right wingers are a ton of right wingers and conservatives and Republicans who are freaking out and calling this like child porn, all of whom had not watched the film had maybe Mm -hmm. just seen this, this image on Netflix or seen like a clip or seen a still so they didn't know that actually they would probably agree with the premise of the film, which was, you know, girls are facing hypersexualization and it's really bad. <laughs> um, and also that these these other cultures are repressive too and misogynistic, which they would probably like. Um, and and then of course there were radical feminists also who I saw online posting about the film. There were some who posted having seen the film and said that they thought it was too much, um, okay. or that they were concerned about the girls. But there was a lot of people posting online who said, "I haven't watched the film, and I'm not going to watch the film. It's child porn. It's catering to pedophiles. Netflix is a pedophile site. Like." Um, this is promoting child sexualization, none of which is true as far as I'm concerned. 
I thought it did a really good job of making its critique. I didn't think it was a great film by any means. And maybe she could have toned it down a bit in terms of the sexualization. But I do think that she, you know, made her point effectively. Mm. When it comes to films, watching it can be supporting it. I mean, but what if you're going to be, what if you're 50-50 split? Because this is the thing that the splitting the world into black and white makes us do, which is that, that like you have to pick a side. What if on a particular topic and a particular film that presents a particular topic, you are literally in the very middle. <laughs> you're right in the middle of the fence. An activist culture would tell us, well, you have to pick a side. If you don't pick a side, you're on the side of the oppressor. But like, they're not always right because they're absolutist and they're often irrational. So what if you're actually split down the middle? Does that mean that you should avoid being exposed or informed or educated on topics in case by virtue of watching or reading the topic, you are supporting the topic? I don't know. Uh, No, it doesn't make any sense to me that by watching something or reading something or participating in it, you're supporting it. I mean, I think that like, I don't know, people may have made similar arguments when I said that I liked WAP, like (laughs) that I liked the song and they were like, oh, so you think this is great and this imagery is fine? And I was like, nope. It's <laughs> mm. so not what I think. That's not what I said. I just like it. I mean, in this case, it's different because I didn't actually love the film that much. Like, I think it was fine, but it wasn't like I probably wouldn't have watched it if not for, you know, us planning to talk about it and the controversy. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, yeah, like it didn't teach me anything that I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It probably did wake some people up to some of these realities and and ideas and you know put forth a criticism around you know what's what what young people are facing nowadays which is not what we faced when we were young you know we Mm. didn't have social media like we weren't exposed to pornography in this way at all um and like yeah i mean i do think that if you're going to mount a criticism against something you should know what you're criticizing and somebody in the comments just said you know like do I have to watch porn to criticize it or do I have to watch porn? What did she say? Um, Do you have to watch porn to know how you feel about it? Um, I mean, kind of like, I'm not suggesting people go around watching a lot of porn, but the reason that I don't like porn is because I've seen what's in porn. Mm. Um, The reason that I don't like strip clubs is because I've been to strip clubs and I've seen what it's, I know what it's like there. Um, I do think that there's some, I'm certainly not suggesting people consume a a ton of pornography or start hanging out in strip clubs in order to understand that these are exploitative industries. You can understand that these are exploitative, abusive industries that objectify women without consuming the product. But at the same time, it is for my purposes. I mean, this is my job. This is my work. So yes, I, I actually do believe that I need to know what's happening in pornography and know what that looks like and know what's going on in order to be able mm-hmm. to criticize it. Otherwise, I, do, I will end up just kind of sounding hysterical and people won't take me seriously. If I start talking about pornography and a bunch of people who watch pornography are like, no, Megan, that's you're crazy. That's not what's going on in pornography. Then people aren't going to take me seriously. Um 
I spend a lot more time reading about pornography than I do looking at it because pornography is upsetting and disturbing to watch. Mm. And, um, but I mean, this, this movie wasn't pornography. It was, it was a, an essentially feminist film. Yeah. And you don't have to watch it, but you shouldn't go calling it child porn and saying that anybody who doesn't hate it should be investigated by the FBI which apparently people are saying <laughs> or anybody who doesn't hate it is a pedophile or anybody who doesn't hate it is like <laughs> evil somehow. Um, mm. If you aren't even going to watch the film yourself. Mm. Yeah. Look, um, I don't really want to watch it and I don't really even want to watch it just for the sake of having an opinion. And I think that seems to be a big thing at the moment is that everyone seems to think that everyone has to have an opinion on every topic. And like, I reserve the right to not watch all things, read all things, uh, have opinions on all things. Like, I just don't think that that's actually mentally healthy. And it's very absolutist to say like, well, you've got to have a view, you've got to participate, like, yeah, if it's within my purview, not everything is. And like, if I don't need to watch something, it's not going to add value to my life. I feel like I already have some grasp of the issue of sexualization of girls and of uh, how children are used in the sex trade. I don't feel like I need to watch a film about it, but, you know, obviously some activists would say, well, you need to watch it because you need to be aware. And then others would say, well, if you watch it, you're participating and you're promoting it. So you must not watch it. And I'm like, how about people make up their own minds about what they do and don't watch? And then they make up their own opinion about what they think, if the issue was presented well, if the issue was not presented well, if they think other people should or shouldn't watch it. People can have their own views on it. But, like, I'm going to make my own mind. I, I'm not I'm not willing to play this game of we all have to do this thing or we all have to not do this thing for it to be good for other people. Well, and I mean, I don't think that you need to watch the film because I think that you are very aware of what's going on with sexualization in our culture and the sexualization of girls. Um, but I mean, as far as mounting a criticism against it, yeah, I think anybody who is going to criticize it should actually watch the film and understand its message. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to criticize a storyline, you probably should know the storyline. You should probably read the book. If you're going to use an author of writing a transphobic book, you should probably read the book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, yeah, so the woman, the director is Maimuna Dukure, um, and she's a pretty young woman. I like she seemed she looked to me to be about 30 or so. Um, she's a French Senegalese woman who grew up in Paris. She drew from her own experiences and from the stories of young girls she interviewed. Um, and she you know, in some interviews that I read and watched, she felt that she, she says, for me, this film is sounding an alarm. This film tries to show that our children should have the time to be children and we as adults should protect their innocence and keep them innocent as long as possible. Um, and she also says, our girls see that the more a woman is overly sexualized on social media, the more she's successful. Our children imitate what they see, trying to achieve the same result without understanding the meaning and um, goes on to say that this is dangerous. Um, so, I mean, I think that I think that her intent matters, but I also think that 
again, I think that message came across really clearly in the film. So I don't quite understand um, the argument that would say that it's promoting sexualization because it really was doing the opposite. And I think that she was so over top in the sexualization to ensure that people really felt uncomfortable and disturbed by the whole thing. Like it wasn't subtle at all. You couldn't watch it and be like, Oh, well maybe, I don't know. Like you'd watch it and be like, Oh God, this is Mm -hmm. not okay. This seems to be going back to the uh, intent versus impact conversation that a lot of activists use nowadays which is like it doesn't matter whether your intent was good if somebody says they felt harmed by your words then you have to take responsibility for harming someone and people are kind of alluding to that in the comments like well if pedophiles found this uh film alluring then the impact was that it furthered the sexualization of girls so it doesn't matter if your intention was to raise awareness of an issue if your impact was to do harm you have to be accountable for the harm you've done and like again I'm not prepared to take a a 100% view on either of those either. I think a lot of times people do intend things to come across really well and they get lost in translation. People can only understand information from the context that they live in. So someone in a different country is going to interpret this film differently. Someone with a different level of education is going to interpret it differently. I'm going to interpret it through my lens, which is understanding the sexualization of children is an issue, understanding how um, underage people are trafficked and used by the sex trade. So I would have that lens. Pedophiles certainly wouldn't have that lens. Does that mean the film shouldn't be made? I mean, I don't I don't know if that's actually a fair I mean, I don't think that pedophiles are gonna be seeking out this film, to be honest, but and I also think that pedophiles, unfortunately, the unfortunate truth is that there actually is a lot of child pornography out on the internet and where there isn't actual, you know, filmed sexual abuse, child abuse of trafficked kids, um, which there's just, there's a wealth of online. Um, it's really disgusting how much child pornography there is online. Um, there's a lot of pedophiles on social media and there's a lot of girls using their social media in really inappropriate ways. And I don't know why. I don't know why they're allowed to have social media accounts. I don't know why their parents are letting them do this. I don't know why. Well, I know why, you know, TikTok and Instagram and whatever is allowing them to because they're a business and they want to profit. Um, but I don't think that pedophiles would be, I mean, this wouldn't be the the thing that pedophiles were seeking out, to be honest. I yeah. think they have a lot more to do online that they have plenty of access to. And, um, mm. and the message, it just wasn't confusing. You know, it was really basic, if anything, like it wasn't, it wasn't a very, it wasn't a nuanced film. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's pretty overt in its messaging. Mm-hmm. Um, Renee says, if you want to learn about the sexualization of girls, go to Walmart. There are padded bras in the toddler department, high heels for infant girls in the shoe department, nasty t-shirts for girls. 
And yeah, but I'd argue most people, like people have clearly normalized that stuff and aren't seeing it as problematic if it's in Walmart and parents are buying it for their kids. Like, like the, you know, those aren't, infant girls aren't going to go buy those things. Parents are buying those things. So obviously they do need some more overt messaging around why this is a problem. Yes. And that's the tricky thing. And that's what I said at the start is that, the way the world is today, the, the like just how controversial a topic has to be before it even gets any kind of news coverage, how kind of in-your-face issues have to be before anyone cares about them. I don't know if this film would have made an impact if it, it obviously a lot of the issues is that people feel like those really grotesque scenes shouldn't be in there at all because just by nature of them being in there, it's uh, normalizing or glamorizing a problem. And to my, my kind of point would be that as with the analogy of like abuse and by filming abuse, are you um, encouraging abuse? A lot of documentary filmmakers will say, we just film what happens. It's not for us to decide what people's response should be. It's mm. our responsibility to show the public what is happening. And I think that would be probably the position of these filmmakers, which is this is like this is actually happening to 10, 11 and 12 year olds. They're on the Internet. They're making mm-hmm. what is essentially underage videos of themselves doing sexualized things. They're and joining- emulating adult women and ab- emulating pornography and emulating <laughs> like these like hypersexualized dancing and putting makeup on and putting skimpy outfits on and like writhing around like it's gross mm. and it's scary mm. and it is gonna upset people and it should if it didn't upset people that would be the problem you know like if this wasn't um getting people upset and if this wasn't causing controversy controversy that would be a real problem because it would mean that everyone had accepted this as normal and it scares me that it seems like we're in the direction of that, which is that all young people now are on TikTok and the majority of TikTok is these full body shots where they're wearing really skimpy outfits and they're doing like sexualized dance moves and they're like a choreographed dance thing, which I assume is part of this film. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, and it's like so we're living in a world where this is not just some of the population, it's the mainstream now that young people get on the internet at the age of 11 or 12 and start filming their entire body doing dances that are sexualized from highly sexualized uh, music videos. Like, that's actually a serious problem. And they, a lot of these girls have, like, tens of thousands of followers. Like, yeah. I was shocked at what, like, you know, just popped up on my Instagram feed. Um and I think, I can't remember if I sent it to you. I sent yeah. it to a couple of other of my friends because I was like, what the fuck is this? This girl looks 15 years old. She has yeah. tens of thousands of followers. She's like doing that kind of thing. She's wearing tons of makeup. She's, you know, dancing in provocative ways. Not, you know, not overtly sexualized way in the same way that this film was. Like in more subtle ways to the point where I guess somebody could tell themselves that it's not overtly sexual. But it was very flirtatious. And she looks or she's trying to look much older than she is. 
Um, she's obviously trying to look sexy. There's no way that her parents don't know what she's doing when she has that many followers and probably many more on TikTok. Obviously, Instagram knows what they're doing, promoting these videos so that it's just fucking popping up. Like, it's disgusting. Yeah. And there's so much of it. Like, it doesn't matter how many times, because I get this too, like they come up on the suggested reels. Reels is now a new feature. It's like TikTok. They're promoting it a lot. And they're all just teenagers dancing in like booty shorts. And I keep like ignore, ignore, like remove. They just keep coming. There's millions of them. They're all trying to make their big break on the internet to become an influencer because a lot of young people nowadays want to be influencers. That's what the stats show. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you get rid of one and there's a million more to follow. It's I don't know if the problem is solved as simply as like, oh, well, like uh, turn it off, like don't watch it. Like they're going to be producing this. They want to be seen. They want to be validated. They want attention. They want belongingness. They want all the things that teenagers want. That's normal. Mm. The problem is they're the whole world is watching them do this process of growing up. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Like we don't actually have solutions. All the solutions we have, like, oh, use internet filters. Yeah, like that's going to do a lot. I mean, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. Well, and even, I mean, yeah, like I, 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 like I remember being that age, being like 11 years old and wanting to look sexy and wear sexy outfits um and wanting to wear makeup and things like that and you know I just wasn't allowed to yeah and certainly I wouldn't have been allowed to have an Instagram account certainly I wouldn't have been allowed to use my Instagram account to post like sexy dances on it Mm -hmm. and um like photos of me making kissy faces in a bunch of makeup Mm -hmm. um like I don't understand why parents aren't monitoring their kids like and I mean I don't yeah the problem isn't going to be resolved just by parents or even by social media companies cracking down on this stuff like it's Mm -hmm. a it's a cultural problem and I know that girls want to do this and we can only control so much but at the same time I mean I don't there's no reason why kids should be on social media Mm. like when you're that age yeah Hey, wait, I got to throw this out there because I saw it because, you know, I love Kanye West and uh, he's been active on Twitter lately, which is always very interesting. And he said, he said, my kids love TikTok, but, you know, I can't let them have it. So I'm going to talk to TikTok. Uh, What do you guys think about Jesus talk? And that was his pitch that he's going to solve the problem by injecting (laughs) religion into TikTok. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's better than porn. Yeah. (laughs) If the only solution is Jesus, then I don't know. Maybe there's something to be said for that. I'd be like, okay. I, I, you know, like I'm not religious at all. And I think that religion is pretty dumb and, you know, patriarchal in a lot of ways. But uh, I would support Jesus talk over TikTok for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) No question. I was thinking about that because, you know, there's a couple of good memes of like uh, famous lines off movies or something. And there's a line where someone's like, you motherfuckers need Jesus. 
there's some famous thing and that's been made into a meme and it's shared all the time. And I was like, whenever I see these big arguments break out on Twitter about like JK Rowling, like burn her books and fuck this person, kill that person, cancel this person. And it reminds me of the meme, like you motherfuckers need Jesus. And I don't even believe in Jesus or God, but like they need something because the void that they're filling with their activism it's it's not working. <laughs> they need something. Um, we should log off and go to Patreon only soon. But I just the, this one comment from Ambient Revolution says, "I find the backlash to this film perplexing. The film tries to make a point against this. There are tons of normalized media that sexualize children with no critique at all, such as many animes, which I agree. With. I don't understand." You know, again, I don't think that there would have been a major controversy around this film or backlash if not for Netflix promotion of it in this particular unethical, you know, inaccurate way. Um, I don't actually think it's a very controversial film. Um, And I think that there's a lot of worse stuff out there that people don't criticize. I mean, I don't, you know, like, yeah, like Dance Moms, Toddlers and Tierras, Everything on social media, um, I think all these, like, sexualized dolls that they're selling to kids nowadays are really harmful. I think pole dance classes for kids are really harmful. Like, I, like... There's so many examples of it. You're right. It's so entrenched in the culture, and this film seems to kind of be, like, a kind of pinprick for me. It's like, yeah, of course children are sexualized. Like, of course this is a problem. Of course it's disgusting. Are you surprised by this film? I'm not. I It just looks like the same as everything else to me. And I think that there should be outrage about all of the ways children are sexualized, not just the one film. And well, I guess especially that- not the film that's critical of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean... Yeah, like, I don't know. I think she's she's probably a new filmmaker and maybe she could have done things in a different way and in a better way in certain areas. But in general, I thought that it was a good message and a decent film. And I think the hysteria is totally unwarranted. Mm. Someone's talking about uh, Japan. Yeah, there's a huge issue with um, pop stars in, like, Japan and Korea. And there's this whole movement of um, young women who either are schoolgirls or are dressing up as schoolgirls to fulfill the fantasies of older men. And it's very normalised. It's not even seen as, like, pedophilia. It's just this kind of pop culture thing where, like... It's like the Lolita trend or something. I think they... I read an article about it recently, right? Is that what it's called? I don't know if it's called that. I think Mm. they have their own names for it in whichever country... But, uh, yeah, like there's so many things like this going on around the world. And, for example, the sex trade relies on children to fulfill its customer demands. Like we should all be outraged about the sexual abuse and use of children. This film is just one example of the millions of examples of children being exploited and taken advantage of sexually. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we we have to go to Patreon only, so everyone can come and join us. And if you would like to continue to 
disagree. That's fine. If you want to come there and yell at me and call me uh, a pedophile lover and suggest maybe you want to call the FBI on me, go for it. Or you can ask us other questions. Um, We can do more Q&A type stuff in there. So the link is down below. Thank you for joining us on The Same Drugs with Megan Murphy. I'm Megan Murphy. I'm Megan. Uh, I'm- <laughs> 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 I swear to God, I didn't even drink that much. That's amazing. Oh, you've had a long day. <laughs> Thanks for waiting and putting up with me. I'm Megan Murphy. This is Megan Murphy. This is The Megan Murphy Show. <laughs> Join us right afterwards on MeganMurphy.com <laughs> to talk more about Megan Murphy. Dispel yeah. the pregnancy rumors that were started oh, about yeah. me and Laura accidentally last week by her boyfriend that I joked about, but I guess my, my, my joking is way too deadpan, so I was like, big news, me and Laura are pregnant together. <laughs> together. But we're not. We're not. We both planned to get pregnant at the same time so we could have joint gender reveal parties. (laughs) And burn down both of the forests in our area. We'll do BC and New Zealand all at once. (laughs) We'll be famous. Yes. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. See you on Patreon. Bye. See you. Bye.